Hey, it's Michael. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Are you loving post-game content? Check out our merchandise store, 13palmtrees.myshopify.com. All spelled out, 13palmtrees.myshopify.com is where you can find awesome post-game content merchandise from the show, along with other merchandise surrounding the 13 Palm Trees family. We have other podcasts, YouTube channels, photographers, all kinds of stuff on our website at 13palmtrees.com for you to check out. Hook yourself up with some sweet t-shirts, stickers, hoodies, and all kinds of sick apparel from our shop. We love and appreciate all the support. Continue to interact, join the Discord, follow us on all of our socials, and get engaged in every way you can. We want to hear from you. And now, enjoy the show. Thank you. Welcome back to Post Game Content. As always, I am not Michael, uh, joined by not Max. Not Max, how are you doing today? You know, last time we you know shouldered this introduction, I had a I had a bit of a hard time swallowing the fact that I wasn't Max. But it's been about a month since that that episode's released, and I've had some time to you know stomach it a little uh, a little better. And I gotta say, it still hurts. There's really been no I'll, emotional improvements on my end. <laughs> to be honest, I would assume it's pretty easy to be not Max. It seems way easier. I'll say that. You've been you've been pretty out of touch lately. You seem like a busy guy, so I'll, have to, I'll just take that to mean that life is life is kicking you in the nards right now. Relentlessly kicking me in the dick, Michael. Relentlessly. Well, um, speaking of relentlessly being kicked in the dick, <laughs> um, I spent most of today. <laughs> Keeping with the theme of today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get into it. I, just um, something that's been on my mind today is, is reading a lot about uh, the Assassin's Creed game that's getting delisted. Did you see this? <sighs> I, yeah, I saw the whole Ubisoft, what yeah. many people are calling a scandal. So It's, you know, I'm, I'm torn because on the one hand, it's one less Assassin's Creed game in the world. But in the other, it's, it sets a bad precedent, you know? <laughs> Uh, I like how some people would will hear that and be like, "Yeah, that's the wrong. That's the negative thing. What's the what's the positive?" <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it sucks because whenever Assassin's Creed One came out, it was like it was just so good, so revolutionary. And then Assassin's Creed Two came out, and it was like really good. Brotherhood was like also pretty freaking fantastic. I haven't touched one since, and I've I have no remorse. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it it seems determined to just not die. It's unfortunate. Um, yeah. Speaking of not dying, Michael, <laughs> uh, today we're going to be talking about a FromSoft game. And not just any FromSoft game, what I probably would consider to be my favorite FromSoft game. That is Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, subtitle that I hate so much. <sighs> All right. Well, if we're gonna, if we're gonna do it, let's just get it. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, yeah. I really think the viewers, or I shouldn't say the viewers, the listeners should hear a little bit of like my experience with this game. So this game came out was it earlier 2019? 2019, and yep. that was um, I was shouldering a infant at the point in time. 
So I was trying to play this game, being a FromSoft game and having a lot of experience with Souls games up to that point, and um, just really excited about it. And this game put me in my place harder than any game I've ever, <laughs> ever played in my entire life. I could not get a hold of it. I may have been able to overcome it had I had the patience um, for this. But at that point in my life, having a child, it, I had so little free time that sure. it was, I was like, do I want to dedicate the time to this and just play something over and over and over again, or just go do something I enjoy? <laughs> so, well, and spoiler alert, you did actually, I mean, eventually climb, climb over that difficulty curve. I did after, it, it, I mean, again, that was 2019. So I finished this game, what at this point is three weeks maybe two, three weeks before recording this episode. Um, and I know you guys, if you've listened to every episode, have heard me say that I still have not beaten it. And I finished it's, pretty much the whole game in that short amount of time. So It's been a journey. And yeah, and Michael would occasionally check in with me, you know, as he was hitting various checkpoints throughout the game. And it's incredible just to see like, you know, and one of the things that I really appreciate about the game is... Um, your knowledge of how it works starts to, to accelerate. And so growth is sort of exponential. It is. Where those first couple of days were really, really hard and not much happened. And then all of a sudden, it was just like day after day, like knocking out two or three bosses. I, I, I don't even know if it was, um, and you know, maybe it was just my, like, my drive to get to the end. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> It didn't, it didn't feel that way because like I would get, <laughs> I would finally like overcome a boss and then get to the next boss. Cause I, I feel like in, in that game, there's so much distance between the start and the first boss. And then they just start stacking them on top of, them, of itself. Like it gives you a lot of time to get acclimated with the combat before you actually dig into multiple boss battles in a row. Um, mm -hmm. from, you know, there's a lot of mini bosses, but the actual boss boss, um, which funny enough is actually where I stopped playing it the first time I got to, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, but the dude on the horse and he sure. just put me in the dirt probably 60, 70 times. And believe it or not, whenever I was playing through this time, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but when I played it through this time, I beat him without dying on my first time yeah. getting to him. So it's just... It is a testament to just how like how committed you have to be to to that. So it starts to yeah, it, muscle memory starts to set in for sure. So I don't think it's going to be possible to talk about this game without contrasting it against you know FromSoft's other games, um, where there are a lot of like very key differences. But I think um, in terms of story and theme. There's a lot of similarities. Um, so if, if you don't mind for a second, I just, I, I'm going to do a little bit of a lore dump and just sort of set the scene for this game. You know what, Max? Um, just take a dump on me. That's, that's you know totally what? I'm going to take... Here it is, Max's <laughs> steam and lore dump. Because <laughs> uh, this, this game is a radically different setting than something like Dark Souls, right? Where there isn't a creation myth necessarily, and this isn't FromSoft building an entire new world. It's set in um, 15th century or uh, mid 15th century Japan, which is also called the Sengoku period uh, or the Warring States period. Um, hmm. This is 
following the collapse of the Japanese feudal system, which meant that Japan was very much less like an actual country at this point and more like a ever-changing sort of, you know, mishmash of warring nation-states. Um, and these, these sort of, you know, nations would come up out of the dirt, they would live for a little bit, and then they'd die um, in sort of a cycle. And if you've played a Dark Souls game, then you can see why this historical period fits that theme really well of, of this natural cycle of birth, life, death, and rebirth. Um, and indeed, that's exactly what we see throughout the course of the game. Our first cutscene is uh, Lord Asian taking, uh, taking his land from you know, another general building this nation of Ashina that we get to play throughout the game, and at the very end, we watch everything collapse. So, that is very Dark Souls, I think. Um, it's also Dark Souls in that our antagonists are uh, a group of fellas who would very much like to stop this natural sort of cycle um, and sort of prolong Ashina's life longer than nature intends. Hmm. Um, wow, this is... I, I didn't even connect these dots. That's really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. So what I love about it is that we're, we're sort of taking a lot of themes that FromSoft is sort of preoccupied with, or Miyazaki, I guess, in particular, is really preoccupied with, and putting them in a hard historical context. Hmm. Um, you know, and then we, we add on other fantastical stuff that he loves, like... Uh, there's a dragon from another world that occupies th <laughs> he, <laughs> that occupies this land he, as a sort of like I wouldn't say parasite, but definitely an invading force. This is the divine dragon that it's called. Um, it comes from another land. It, they just say the east, um, so it could be Korea, could be China, could be wherever. Um, and the Divine Dragon has a, a particular connection to one bloodline that sort of gives this one bloodline the power of immortality. Those people can bestow it on other people or they can keep it for themselves. Um, and a lot of people who want to preserve Ashina as a nation are really interested in this power, trying to basically create an army of, of unstoppable immortal warriors to defend their land, which uh, the divine heir, the, the one person who's able to do this, is not super interested in doing because this isn't a power that people are supposed to have. So they kidnap him and try to coerce him and at the same time run their own little experiments trying to create a sort of false immortality. Um, which is disgusting, by the way. It is not good. <laughs> Turns out all you got to do is uh, drink some bugs. That's all you got to do. I will say the first time that I uh, encountered my um, immortal, I should say, someone else's, uh, uh, I guess I should say, uh, like unholy immortality. I don't really know. The disgusting mm -hmm. immortality. I was like, <laughs> oh, that's gross. Like, I was like, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. Which I think it, is it the definitely... headless ape, maybe? Is that is that where you first see it? Like, actually you can see it a couple it of other... Yeah, that, well, that's definitely the most, like, direct interaction you have with it. Um, all of the monks at Senpu Temple, um, if you look closely, all of them have bugs and shit crawling all over them. Uh. Uh, 
Gross. But yeah, yeah, super not good. <laughs> so that's sort of the, what I like about it is that, you know, the story picks up with a very like, you know, understandable goal. In the first cutscene, it's hit over your head that you play as Wolf. You are a shinobi. You're dedicated to protecting your immortal lord. Make sure that nothing happens to him. Fast forward 20 years, and it turns out that Wolf sucks shit as his job. Uh, the Divine Lord has been kidnapped, and this gives you a really, really understandable goal. Get him back. Um, and that's sort of where things pick up. So, instantly, there's a big difference between this game and something like Dark Souls, right? Because we're actually given a character to play as in this game, as opposed to Dark Souls, where you create your own. Um, like, right off the bat, how did that difference work for you, coming off of something like, like Dark Souls, where you have a little bit more creative freedom with the character you create? Uh, well, I don't, think it, I don't think it hit me as hard as a lot of people who have recently um, made the jump into Sekiro, because, I mean, I think I read a statistic the other day that there's been, there are as many people playing Sekiro right now for the first time due to Elden Ring as there were whenever it launched. Like, there's just mm-hmm. a, a huge spike. And I don't think it hit me as hard because um, whenever I picked up Sekiro for the first time, if you recall, I hadn't even finished Dark Souls 3 because I just didn't enjoy it or didn't think that I enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. And so my only real experience with Souls game was the first one. So I didn't really have a good appreciation, really thinking about it now, for that type of um, that type of juxtaposition between a traditional you know, RPG um, where you carry your own character and something like this, like an action RPG where you're handed a story. Um, so I, I don't think it hit me as hard as it, it is hitting and affecting a lot of people now. Um, but it, I mean, it was, it was a shock, you know, I was still expecting there to be some type of, you know, formal quote unquote soul structure. Um, even though it's still commonly looped into that, <laughs> um, that grouping just because it's by the same developers. But, um, yeah, it wasn't as jolting as I thought it was going to be, honestly. Um, but it, it still, like you said, it carries just enough, you know, the textures, the feel of the worlds, the, uh, the, the vagueness of the story, because I've played through it almost twice now, and I still don't fully grasp all the pieces of it. Um, so it, the, the narrative elements are uh, nigh identical. Um, it's mm-hmm. just a little more on the nose than a traditional FromSoft is. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think a, a good way to delineate between the two is that in both the lore and how the world works is sort of shrouded in mystery and you got to do a lot of uncovering. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference is that in Sekiro, there's also on top of that, you know, a plot involving the characters. And that's, I think, instantly a lot more readable. So even if you don't understand the history of, like, Ashina as a nation or what the Divine Dragon is or who the monks of Senpo Temple are, you still know that, like, okay, I'm Wolf. Wolf has a job. His job is to get back this little kid. And if that's all you understand, then fine. That gives you a, a, a driving force throughout the game that maybe you... You know, people who bounced off Dark Souls because they didn't understand what they were doing or why they were doing it. You know, it gives you a little bit more of something to hold on to. Yeah, and I think that's it's a cool thing to be able to you know harken back to in each episode that we've we've talked about and 
we talked about this in uh, Metroid. We talked about this in God of War. How having that like overarching, simplistic number one goal that does not ever change can help you. You know, if you if you get lost, you just think, oh, I need to go up. Oh, I need to get mm-hmm. to the top of the mountain. Okay, I need to. You know, if I get lost, if I've already gotten the the air, go talk to him. He'll give you direction as to what's next and what his goal is, so you can help him complete it. So having that i mean you're you're absolutely right you've said this every time we've come up against it but having that you know really simple goal helps the player you know drive at one at the main point that they're trying to tell but also gives them um it keeps the story simple yet you can make it as diverse as you want to because it'll always lead them back to the same path yeah and and you know with an interactive medium like video games you, you sort of have to deal with the fact that players are going to choose their own level of involvement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who just are only going to understand that base plot and don't really have an interest in, you know, reading a whole bunch of item descriptions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll still get a satisfying story out of that. You'll be fucking confused by the end, for sure. But, you know, at, at the very least, your character's motivations are clear. Um, and I think that's sort of there's a key difference um in that i think sekiro's characters are characters they have their like their own driving needs and wants and personality um wolf is no different so instead of creating a character from scratch your sort of journey to getting good at this game is learning to behave more and more like wolf would um and that's I think intentional um, because at the beginning of this game, Wolf is awful. The first thing that happens is you're put up in a boss fight that you're supposed to lose against uh, Ganichiro. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And and that fight just puts you in the fucking dirt. And there's a... um, Vadi has a couple of really, really good videos on Sekiro. One of my absolute favorite little details... um, which sort of signals you to the fact that this is a supposed to lose fight is at the beginning of that fight when uh, Wolf reaches for his sword, he kind of fumbles it. Like his hand doesn't go quite where the hilt is showing that like he doesn't, he, he's rusty, you know, right. he, his skills aren't sharp yet and yours probably aren't either because you just started playing this game about 30 <laughs> minutes ago. Oh man. I remember, I remember specifically the first time that I played this, I, I mean, I handled the opening area like a champion because I was like, I, mm-hmm. I, I knew this game was all about parrying. And I got right to the, the fight with uh, Genichiro. And, man, I was I was so arrogant. I was like, I've played Souls <laughs> games. I know bosses are going to be hard. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush this. I've beaten the, uh, you know, the... Uh, not the asylum demon, but the vanguard demon and demon souls without in the right. in the tutorial. I've got this. Oh my god, mm. dude! Like not even close. <laughs> like I don't even think I got a hit on the guy. Like it was just posture broke me immediately. I mean, and again, you're supposed to lose there, but um, mm. I think you're right. Like the the narrative implications of your character just getting stomped. It just goes to, just to show you got a lot. You got a lot of work to do and. You as a player, I mean, especially me when I picked this up again, I mean, I had just so such a hard time. Like you told me a million times, you just you have to put, you know, for you from soft players out there who have who are trying to get into this game, you have to forget everything that you know 
about mm-hmm. your previous soul's experiences because it's just, even if you were a Perry King in those games, it isn't the same. Like it's not the same at all. So. It's true. It's it's very different timing, and I think you kind of have to go in with a different mindset. Where in Dark Souls games, I think a lot of combat, you know, and I'll talk about combat combat more in depth in a second, but a lot of Dark Souls combat is about, you know, getting out of the way safely while an enemy's, like, um, animation plays, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, let them swing when they're on their cooldown from their swing, you use that time for your wind-up, you hit them, and that's, like, that's it in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. You know, it's punch-out. Um... <laughs> And in Sekiro, yeah, you know, that doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easy to understand. Right. Um, In Sekiro, you kind of have to change that mindset and realize that every swing of your opponent is an opportunity to put the fight more in your favor. There is a correct way to respond and to, like, change the momentum of the fight if you can anticipate, you know, the moves that, that they're doing. It forces you to really, like pay attention to animations and start to learn your opponent's movesets. Um, yeah, for sure. I, and more, like you said, more so than a Souls boss, because in, a, like you said, in a Souls game, you're anticipating the moveset, but you're watching for a gap. In yeah. Sekiro, you, are, you have to meet every enemy in the moment they attack, in every attack that they do. And you, you can't just you can't run around and actually specifically just recently I had beaten Sekiro and then my friend Ryan Turner just beat Elden Ring um, finally and then he was like all right I'm <laughs> gonna try Sekiro and you know, I told him it's it's tough you can do it I, you've beaten all the Souls games you've got like you told me you've got the reflexes for it he arguably had an easier time with Souls than I did he's just a better player than me and that's totally fine <laughs> um, but he he went in even after I told him all these things and he, I, he messaged me a couple of days after he started it. And he goes, you really can't just like avoid enemies and get in and take your quick shots. He's like, I was like, yeah, I mean, every, every, even the most basic enemy, if you are trying to be cocky and are not timing your attacks will fuck you up. Like they will put you in the <laughs> dirt, like pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, every, everything. Uh, and that's what is great about this type of game because you feel like every enemy is real. You feel like every enemy is a challenge and you feel like every single enemy, whether it's in the starting area when you're going back through it or whether mm. it's an end game boss, every enemy has the capability to be just absolutely dominated if you can just figure out what's going on. And quickly too, it's not just a you know whittle the health down. You can absolutely stomp any enemy in this game fast if you are just a hundred percent in on their moveset it's yeah it it's probably the most advanced combat system in any video game ever made i'm willing to say that it's just i would i would say that and i think it's married with a lot of um level design that supports that because i think you're right there's not a lot of filler content in this game because every enemy is so deadly every combat encounter feels meaningful Mm -hmm. um you're forced to really lock in and pay attention where you don't get a lot of easy wins. Yep. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. And, and, you know, the starting areas, I think, really hammer that into you. You're, it's a long time before you hit a boss where they're really just trying to drill in 
the basics of combat and sort of you're building this vocabulary for, for how the combat works. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that's really cool is I think Genichiro is sort of used as a way to mark your progress throughout this game. You fight him three times. Once at the very beginning of the game where he's absolutely just going to like rub your rub your nose in the dirt <laughs> like uh once it what is effectively a midpoint, you know, it's pretty close to what I'd call the middle of the game and he's used as like a DPS check. This is sort of your midterm um to see if you you've learned the combat enough to progress and if you have then you know the rest of the game it's not going to be easy but you can definitely do it right. um the the third time you fight him he's a fucking pushover he's he is like one step before the final boss and you literally just have to get him out of the way so you can take another <laughs> run at Asian. it's so true <laughs> but again, I mean, just to harken on what we just talked about, and it still isn't because, like, it still is not easy because you get to that point, the pushover point, and like you'll mm-hmm. run in and you'll you'll absolutely smoke the motherfucker, and then like yeah. you, you get stomped by Ishin, and then you run back in and you're like, all right, get out of my way, and you're just haphazard with it, and he just fucks you in the ass, like <laughs> so, <laughs> that happened to me so many times. I'm like, I know oh, yeah. I could beat this guy, but. I'm in that moment thinking I'm a, I'm past this. I'm just mentally checked out and I'm not dedicated to the fight and the game punishes you for that. And Dark Souls isn't like that. And that's part of the, the thing I had such a hard time with in this game moving on from Souls was because, you know, I was so familiar with every enemy in Dark Souls 1 and 3 that I can sprint through those games and mm-hmm. other than the bosses really just be fine. Because sure. of my familiarity with them. But in Sekiro, yes, I can still go through, but I still have to pay attention. And even on the most basic enemies. I mean, just, just today, even, I was I replayed a little bit of my second run through, or I should say continued in my second run through of the game. And after Ashina Castle locks itself back up, I was climbing the castle, and the guys with like the purple striped capes that are on oh, the yeah. side. I got up to the top and I fought my first one, killed him instantly, just destroyed the guy. Mm-hmm. Walked around the corner, another <laughs> one ran around the corner, jumped off the other side of the building, ran over to fight me. And I was like, I'm just trying to get up to the top so I can fight uh, fight Lady Emma because I was doing mm-hmm. the other uh, storyline now. Yeah, the alt, yeah. Dude, that guy just murdered me, <laughs> murdered me. And it's the same enemy. And it yeah. was just because my mentality was looking past where I was. I didn't meet the enemy in the moment and face him head on. And because my head was not in the game in that moment, I lost. And that's such a testament to how the narrative, you know, we talked about how Wolf just wasn't good at what he was doing in the beginning. He, his head wasn't mm-hmm. in the game and he got his ass kicked. And if you at any point in time, remove yourself from mentality of the game. If, if you have someone, if you have a phone call and you're trying to text someone, if you're Anything that you do and you're not 100% dedicated in that moment to the fight that you're in, you might be able to squeeze by on a normal enemy, but don't even think about it on a boss. Like, you're, yeah. you won't survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you know, it's a big change from um, the, the, a lot of Dark Souls is more stat-based where, you know, y- you can reach a base level of competency and then 
you don't have to improve past that point because your number numbers will just keep going up as you build your character up. Especially in Elden um, Ring, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can climb over the difficulty curve so easily in Elden Ring. Um, but that's what, you know, a massive amount of customization offers you. It's a, it's a pitfall in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, Sekiro's kind of the other side of the coin to, to Elden Ring, where instead of offering a whole bunch of different customization options, they, they limit it down to, like, a very, very well-refined combat system that has less to do with numbers and more to do with watching animations and starting to really know... Um, the enemy that you're fighting against. And, you know, I think that is both mechanically awarding, re- really rewarding, and it, it feeds into the narrative. Um, you know, I've mentioned this a couple of times during watching your playthrough, where, you know, because uh, fight animations are so important, it gives these bosses a chance to really be expressive and you get to, to understand their personality a little bit based on how they fight um, to the point where you can even see, you know, relationships between characters based on similar fighting styles. Um, did you make it to the, the Emma boss fight? I did. Yep. That's actually yeah. where I stopped. I got uh, I got arrogant because I saw that she had one uh, one posture. One health bar. Yeah, I don't get me wrong, do the first time I fought her, I got her most of the way down and almost killed her, but then every other time mm. I ran back to her, um, I hadn't ran through and fought the guy that's in the area below her. Uh, oh, sure. Yet. So I was running straight from Ashina Castle gate all the way up, and I was like, I'm not running that again, so I just stopped. But yeah, I, I see exactly what you mean. Her, her moveset is very... Um, she doesn't have a lot of variety, but she's very precise, and her combos, are, she she busts your posture so fast. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and she does the uh, the Ashina cross, right? The one where she puts her sword away, and then she comes out with a quick like mm-hmm. uh, left, right, and an up down. Yeah. The only other person in the game who does that is Ishin, and the uh, the couple of ninja guys or the uh, samurai guys underneath him who are clearly trained by Ishin. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's sure. a cut. There's a bit of dialogue you can get from emma where she confirms it but even if you didn't go through that you would know like oh okay ishan's the one who taught her how to fight with a sword yeah like and that's nuts that you can do that without any dialogue you can just see that um FromSoft is incredible with their enemy design and i think sekiro they really push it to another level where characterization and, and narrative can come in the middle of a fight you know i i think that's cool as hell that is um, really cool to think about. Uh, really, really cool, actually. Yeah. But I, the I, other... D- go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, that, I mean, there was a few... Whenever we had talked about that before, um, you had mentioned some... Uh, during my fight with the owl, it was actually when you were mm-hmm. watching me fight him, and you had, you had specifically pointed out, you know, watch the way, that, the way that he moves, and he has a lot of the same movesets, and you can kind of tell that, you know, owl... There was uh, obviously was the wolf's father, but you could see how his moves were very similar uh, to yeah. those. And then even in the way that he, you know, would move himself, and uh, it was just very indicative of the fact that it's some it's something the way you uh, presented yourself. So there was more. There was some to the dialogue. There was some to the the narrative. There was some to the actual fight. And I think you're right. The the ability to express 
narrative in combat is not something that you saw really in any other Souls games and only a little bit in Elden Ring. And really it was due to incantations and things like that. So yeah. that have lore implications, not really a connectivity. So I think that, you know, giving from software the ability to express connections in new ways, I mean, they just capitalize. They're, that's what they do. They capitalize. So. I think that's absolutely true. And I think if we're talking about, like, you know, using combat as a narrative tool, Owl is a perfect, like, example to talk about. Because even if you don't listen to any dialogue in a cutscene, even if you ignore everything that everybody says about him, you would know this guy is a lying fucking asshole just based on that fight. <laughs> he is a dick. He uses the same kind of, like, underhanded ninja shit that you have where he uses throwing stars and poison. He can McCurry County you if you try to do, like, a, a full thrust on him. Um, and he knows that you cheat like a bastard, too, so he stops your heels. Yeah. Like... <laughs> You can see very clearly he knows you about as well as you know him. Um, and then he, he lies and pretends he's hurt in the middle of the fight because he's a dick. Like, yeah, even, there's a, I mean, even whenever he's Lady Emma comes out, if you swear mm -hmm. dedication to uh, being, um, I forget what it's called, the, the Iron Code. Kuro? Oh, yeah, yeah, sword of the Iron Code. If if you dedicate yourself to that, he's like, oh, Lady Emma. Uh, and then he just throws ninja stars at her like, trying to be a, yeah. just an underhanded piece of shit not meeting her nobly in combat like a you know a good mm. warrior should and then he's like yeah well, i'm gonna let you handle this son yeah, of a dip. i'm gonna go do other stuff real quick <laughs> he's a yeah. he's a piece of shit he's a real piece of shit but i mean i think he's probably the best characterized you know in the in in the middle of combat mm. where i think you get the strongest sense of his personality but it's by no means just something that happens in that fight it happens everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the the guardian ape, when you fight it in the first fight, it's very clearly just like an ape. It, you know, fights like a beast. He throws poop at you, which is hysterical. He does, you know, effectively monkey shit. Literally. He does he, monkey shit. <laughs> he does monkey shit, literally. In the second phase, something's, something's wrong, right? One, it's beheaded. Um, and it doesn't move like an ape does anymore. It's, it's timings are all different. It's weirdly kind of serpentine. And it's not until you actually get a posture hit on it and see that it's being controlled by like a centipede in its body what? that you really, <laughs> which gross as shit. Yeah. That you really start to understand what's happening. Um, yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about, you know, the, the, the mechanical depth behind the combat and how that's woven into a deeper understanding of the story. Um, it is, it is I, I think you're right, the best combat system that's been put in a game by a pretty wide margin. Well, there's just, there's just so much to, to be said about, like, I know I'm, I'm going to say this probably a hundred times in this episode, <laughs> and it's because Max has driven a, a deep appreciation for... You know, I'm not going to come out and say this is my favorite from software game yet. I'm open to influence mm. because I haven't delved into the nitty gritty like I have with most of the others. But there, again, as far as combat goes, this is by far the most intimate you will ever get with a game. And 
I know I've, I've, you know, I've, I've killed Ornstein and Smoke countless times. I've killed, uh, you know, Artorius of the Abyss, which is one of my favorite from software boss fights. I know I've killed Manus dozens of times. Mm. I've, you know, I've fought Nameless King and all these, the, you know, the Lorian brother, Lothric and Lorian brothers, and just had that uh, Slave Knight Gale miter, that hand shaking feeling that like you get four or five times in every souls game mm-hmm. every boss in sekiro is that way it it is i mean it was for me no, I, anyway but um, I, no i completely agree with you i i felt exactly the same and i've been chasing that high from that first playthrough <laughs> ever since yeah you know i the first time i beat ishan the last boss of this game oh my God. It was it was a full day, and I think I, I had to go outside for a second because my hands would not stop shaking. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I I had oh my gosh, I don't even know how I beat Ishin. I'm trying to like like the moment you know we'll talk about that later when, if if mm. when we get to that, but just like every every boss fight, like you you will not. I, I can go. I'll comfortably say this there you're you're god if you walk into any boss fight and you handle it your first time i mean even most of the mini bosses will crush you many many times but the the feeling you get when you finally overcome them and it's like you don't i never really obviously there is a big distinction between the bosses and the mini bosses as far as like one the story goes and two you know how you know what happens after before and after you kill them and the items that you get but like I didn't feel that way when I was playing it. I handled every enemy like it was a boss. And the only difference was, is I knew the bosses had multiple posture hits that I had to take down. Every enemy is just so fucking vicious and they all Mm. have attacks that can kill you in a a second or two. They all have that, that one. I, I don't know how to express and it, maybe it's because there's literally nothing to compare it to. And that's why I think this combat system is so good. There is no other game that makes you more uncomfortable around enemies than this game. And they give you multiple ways to handle everything. You know, you can be a master of your Shinobi tools and use, you know, what items they give you. Maybe we can talk about that now. Um, yeah. But some of the other, you know, the combat options to handle them, they, you know, they have stealth they have you know this handling a one-on-one and a posture duel but i and i don't know about you but like even most of the time unless it was like a basic guard or i don't know what they're called just like the basic ashina residents that i was yeah, yeah. fighting bandits if, and stuff if there were more than two of them mm, i wasn't <laughs> i wasn't able to really tackle it very well yeah um, but like and anything beyond those guys mm, no i would I would just die. So I had to, you know, run off and wait to the ability to handle it one-on-one because that's how I learned this game was meeting every enemy face-to-face, eye-to-eye, and, you know, encountering it that way. I don't have enough good things to say about the, uh, or I should say I have too many good things to say about the combat in this game. It's just, it's it's brilliant. Like, it Mm. is an an act of genius. They found a way to enact this in a video game format. And just to briefly touch on the, the upgrade path and how this is different than a traditional RPG, um, when you level up in Sekiro, you don't spend your points on improving any of your stats. 
you can, by defeating a boss, increase the amount of damage you do, but that's the only real stat that we're going to be dealing with. It's pretty ethereal, too. Like, it's not like, you know, there is a quote-unquote attack power, but, you Uh know, you don't see, you know, oh, it adds, you know, two damage or three. You don't see that. It's just, you just have to take the game's word for it. Yeah, that's true. You don't, (laughs) and you don't feel it, I don't think. No, you don't. You really don't. Um, Instead, you're going to be spending your points you know, your, your level points on either buying new moves to add to your arsenal um, or crafting these sort of, you know, shinobi tools that, that Michael mentioned, which are, you know, equivalent to um, some of your thrown items in uh, something like Elden Ring or Dark Souls. And these moves that you get and these these secondary weapons that you craft, none of them are overpowered or broken um you know none of them give you a combo that's basically like an i win button Mm -hmm. what they are are like very very sort of slight modifications and um customizations to a base move set so when you beat a boss and one of the reasons why i think it's so the combat is so satisfying like what michael was talking about um when you win you can't really chalk it up to anything other than your own skill you know you can't rely on a particular weapon or a particular cheesy strat there's a couple in the game but not many most of the time it's because you got good um and that's why i think it's so satisfying you know you don't have anything else to to pin it on but you it was just you and your hands and getting better at this yeah, there was, and that's, I, to, just to touch on that really quickly, I remember whenever, I think it was Genichiro when I finally, I mean, I, I fuck, I've already fought that guy like 50 times before I finally beat him, but sure. when I finally beat him, I I messaged you and you you were, you were like, yeah, I think that's exactly what you said, you were like, you did that shit, it wasn't some bullshit yep. strategy, you beat him, like, you overcame that, mm-hmm. and that, that really stuck with me because it's, like you're right in you know in souls games it's like oh i'm using um you know rivers of blood or you know i've i'm just a master of dodging out of the way you know something like that it's like no you had to you had to meet the enemy ai with everything it had and you overcame it in that moment and yeah oh, it's hefty and- man it's uh, <laughs> i'm chasing that I high be- now too <laughs> <laughs> I want to be clear that I'm not knocking like any of the the you know quote unquote cheesy strategies or overpowered or broken shit that's in Elden Ring or Dark Souls because the intention of that game is very different. You know, the developers wouldn't put weapons and strategies and magic and shit in the game if they didn't want you to use it. Right. Um, right. And and the core ethos of of something like Dark Souls is beat the game however it is you know you can get by. You know, do what you have to do. The intent of Sekiro is this is a very, like, defined skill set that you're going to need to learn. Um, You know, you're not forging your own character. You're learning to be Wolf. And that has a very different set of criteria. Like, that's that's all it is. Yeah, Um, that's 100% exactly what it is. So true. mm -hmm. So, Genichiro is kind of our midpoint. And up until it's the, the game's been fairly linear, you can, if you want to, do some stuff out of sequence. You can go and do, like, Senpu Temple early if you want to, but you don't have to. Once you beat Kanichiro and are reunited with Kuro, 
things start to get a little bit less linear where you're given a checklist of these like sort of divine items that you'll need to put together for Kuro. Um, and here I think is a pretty good opportunity to talk about the level design in Sekiro because I, although I really appreciate the art style um, and I think there's a, a large variety of the different places you go in this game, despite the fact that I think on paper it probably is smaller than, um, you know, Bloodborne or even the like Dark Souls one. Um, I I I love the the sort of variation and making Ashina feel like a real place. Um, the level design itself, though, is is pretty linear. I would say. Um, did was there a particular area that you felt like that really stuck with you? Was there a place where you were kind of like struggling with it? Um, I think uh, later on, whenever you return back to Ashina Castle and it's like all locked down, that gave mm. me a headache. Like I was trying to figure <laughs> out how the fuck to move around and following the little like burning uh, candle incense things on the top of the building. I hit a dead end with those. Like I didn't know I had to go back down under the under the uh, under the ground where I'd already been. And sure, um, you know, when it came to, I, I was looking for an item. So I didn't think I would have to backtrack into areas that had already been, even though you end up having to just move through those areas to get to somewhere new. So that, that gave me a fair bit of a headache. Um, as far as areas that I, I, I like, the whole game felt like, um, I guess the best way to put it, it was like, it was just like a well-designed sandwich or like a, <laughs> I guess a, a well-designed s- sub. There was like your bread of Ashina, like the whole thing was, mm-hmm. It's it was just stacked so neatly on literally on top of itself from the top of yeah. Kuro's tower all the way down into like the Ashina depths. It was just like a well defined thing, but you move through it like a, like I said like a sandwich like right through the middle of it, and then you get to the end. But the I think the Ashina depths and like down where the Guardian Eight battle is was probably my favorite area because it just it felt like alive. Like with the yeah. wildlife with the monkeys and things like that. And then the big statues with like the vines hanging from them and um, like the ability just to move through that area that had, you know, the ability to slip and fall and, you know, die at any any moment. I just, I liked the the literal depth of that area. And then the, you know, the area that I think was right before, was it before it or after it with like where the you're going from the snake again. Um, and you fall oh, down yeah. into the water. That's but, right before, yeah. But that that whole sequence was just was really exciting and interesting because, mm-hmm. like, before that, you're just moving through the you know the Ashina townscape and that area again. So it's like, yeah. it's your first time, at least it was for me, delving into like a new area and something interesting where you're moving towards another goal. Yeah, I, I think for better or worse, it takes a lot of influence from FromSoft's other games up until this point. You know, it it brings in the sort of verticality that uh, Dark Souls 1's um, level design had, Mm -hmm. you know, where all of these different areas are stacked, like you said, very neatly on top of each other. Um, For worse, it takes a lot of influence from uh, Dark Souls 2's level design, you know, (laughs) where, yeah, which I don't love, but I, you know, I can forgive it. Um, But a lot of areas are pretty linear. There's one straight path forward, and there's a couple of dead ends, you know, especially the first time through the Harada estate, where mm. you might feel like 
you know, this should connect to something else, and it doesn't. You beat the boss there, you know, congratulations, now fuck off. There's mm-hmm. nothing else here to do. Um, so that, that, I think, can be frustrating when you're learning this game the first time, because you'll reach the end of an area and think, you know, where's all the interconnectedness? Where's the, you know, maps that double back on themselves? Mm-hmm. And that's just not here. Yeah, I, um, I agree. I will say while we're talking about the Harada state, one of the things I did like about like the general structure of the game is that the Harada state kind of sets up like a, um, I guess it, it flows very tangential to how the wolf, if you if you were that character in his shoes, how he progresses in, a, in like a mental state because like you go back in this memory and you overcome someone from your past. So arguably that's mm-hmm. something that happened in your past. And so you went back there and you fought the, you know, the drunkard and then you got through there and then you fought the lady butterfly and you overcame that, that enemy. So it's mm-hmm. like Wolf is like a typical Shinobi would sitting and reflecting on his successes in the past and having to, you know, forcing himself to recall and remember that victory that he overcame to sharpen his skills to get back to being the shinobi that he should be. And then throughout the game, as you kill these bosses and enemies, the wolf, in order to get more powerful, sits at these sculptor's idols and reflects on his victories Mm. in battle to become more powerful and to, you know, sharpen his skill set. And I love how they you know they line that up in the game and you know you could go you could play this game a million times and not even notice that but it's just something so subtle that just makes it really powerful i think that's a really great point i think that because two things right one that's thematic like you Mm -hmm. said that is something that that wolf would do that it makes sense for him to sort of increase his skills that way um two that's exactly what you're doing as the player. Mm-hmm. You know, beating a boss, um, it doesn't necessarily power your character up anymore, but it shows that you've gained some knowledge and you probably pulled something from that fight, which is going to make you formidable, more formidable going forward. Like, I, it's a really good marriage between the, the story within the game and your progression as somebody who's playing it. For sure. Like, absolutely true. Begs the question, um, though, are, is it whenever you use a memory to enhance your attack power, a placebo effect? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I wouldn't be fucking surprised if it was. <laughs> if somebody hacks the game and finds out that that doesn't actually improve any stats, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Where's Zuli like, when you need her? <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> But just just um, to talk about the level design again, I, d- I didn't mean to throw you off track. No, yeah. Um, I agree 100% with the, like, as a first-time player, because I had made it to the Drunkard, and I left Harada Estate my first playthrough way back in 2019. Um, but, like, I even on this most recent playthrough, I got to the end and beat the Lady Butterfly. And then I just ran around. I was like, all right, what did I miss? Like, where's the next area? And I was in Harada Estate for probably like an hour just looking for shit to do. Like, sure. So, and the game doesn't do a good job of just saying, hey, you didn't just leave this area and never come back to it now. Um, so. Yeah. And yeah. And 
I, I completely agree with that because I did the same on my first playthrough, assuming that like this has to connect back to the main game somehow, um, and it doesn't. You know, it it is a separate sort of area, which makes it. You know, I I love how interconnected a lot of Dark Souls, uh, you know, world is, and it's cool when you're able to see like, oh yeah, you can see that area from here, and mm-hmm. um, so when you have places like the Harada estate which are so separated from everything else that's going on it's a little bit disappointing right yeah i mean even if they had like at that sculptor's idol in there after you beat the lady butterfly had like an option in there that was like return to you know the, your, yeah. the current time or whatever return to present self or something um that would have at least given you an indicator that like this option is only at this sculptor's idol so maybe you know, yeah. this is the end of it. You know, it could have been really subtle, and I would have been fine with that. A little bit more signposting, I think, would have been helpful there. Yeah, absolutely true. Um, but you know, after you beat Ganatro and the game sort of opens up a little bit, I feel like that's it's less of a problem because there's more than one path forward. Mm-hmm. You know, you have three things that you're supposed to get. One is um, this crazy sword that allows you to kill the unkillable. Um, a flower and some perfume you know just normal ninja <laughs> shit <laughs> before um, we stray too far from genichiro i have to tell the listeners my um this game this game is such an asshole i <laughs> i would take photos of my fights whenever i would finish my fights and i would send them to max and be like yes i finally beat this boss Genichiro, like I said, I probably fought that guy probably 60, maybe 50, 60, 70 times before I finally beat him. It might have even been more. Just He just mm. rushed me. And whenever I finally beat him, I got I broke his second posture and killed him. You get the shinobi execution you know, thing, and then it goes to... Or no, you go, it goes to a cutscene. Yeah. And I, I sent you the, the photo of the cutscene, and I was like... My hands were shaking. I was like, yes, I finally did it. And Max is like, yes. Also, I'm sorry. And literally, as soon as that <laughs> message came across my Discord, it jumped into the third phase of the fight, and I just died instantly. I was like... I had, like, one heel left, and I was just, like, emotionally devastated <laughs> that it, was, it wasn't over yet. And then I had to replay it probably another 20 times before I could beat. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like I, uh, before that, I could handle the first phase finally. And I was struggling mm-hmm. to get to the second phase. But like by the time I got to that third phase, I might die a couple times here and there. But I was able to effectively tackle phase one and phase two and then get to phase three and then tackle that portion of it. Yeah. So it's just, you, the game trains you, and you like you learn it as you go. It's so satisfying. You'll you'll surprise yourself too at how quickly you pick things up. Um, yeah, and, and that's probably the meanest that the game gets, right? Because it does that a few times with a couple of different bosses. Fucking Lady Butterfly pulls that shit. Ganeshira mm-hmm. does that. Uh, famously, the Guardian Ape. Which, if you ever want to just like kill a couple of minutes. Uh, go on YouTube and watch any compilation of streamers fighting the Guardian Ape for the first time. It is heartwarming. Just like, because that's a that boss in general. I think the first phase is a real sticking point for a lot of people because mm-hmm. it doesn't fight like anything else that you've been up against up until that point. You know, it's just all out animal aggression 
um, you know, with no defensive capabilities, no easily readable combos that have a strong rhythm. This thing just wants to beat you to a pulp. And a lot of people who have come to rely on that sort of back and forth, almost conversational structure to fights, really struggle with with mm-hmm. um, the Guardian Ape. And that's the one that the game pulls the biggest fake out, where you know, you'll get the death cut scene. You'll get the Shinobi execution like <laughs> message across your screen, which is fucked up that it does that to you. Yeah. And then the fog wall just doesn't disappear. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember when I played it, I had I killed him and I was again, my hands were shaking. And then like I was running around the arena and I was like, Where do I go from here? I'm not sure. And then the the bar popped back up and I was like I hate this fucking game. <laughs> I'm so upset. Um, I got to give a shout out to uh, Justin Robinson, my friend, who he had played this game um, probably about a year and a half before I tackled it recently. And that was his, he beat it, never went back to it, didn't do any of the playthroughs. There are bosses like the Demon of Hatred, Emma. He didn't, he never returned to it because he's like, I'm, I'm done with this game. I did it. I and he, you know, he still talks about it. He's like, I don't know if I could go back. I think I just lost my skills. But he was the whole time. He's like, he's like, yeah. You think that's bad? Wait till you get to the fucking ape, the ape, the ape, the ape. And he was like, do you need to stream the ape? I want to see you fight the ape. Like he's like, it's going to murder you. <laughs> so shout out to Justin for that. The ape is a. It was a big sticking point. Um, yeah for me too but i didn't struggle with it as bad as i struggled with uh genichiro or ishin or um i mean hell even the the monk not the the ghost one but the actual true corrupted monk. Uh, true monk it yeah. it didn't do me well um i use the same the strategy the game wants you to use where you're like whip through the trees and stuff but he just hit me while i was i was whipping around and it didn't mm-hmm. so until you gave me the tip to like just stand at the end of the bridge and parry off of his attacks i mean that that literally was a game changer so yeah and you get you can you can kind of get through on that one i i love the true monk fight um you know one for i guess we're we're heading there anyway right so you gather up these these divine sort of items for for uh kuro kuro says great we need these to go to the divine realm. You're going to get some tears from a dragon. Again, typical ninja shit. This is all in the job <laughs> description. Um, and so you gather all these items and you get taken by a giant rope creature. <laughs> so weird. There's always one, right? There's always There's one always- thing in a Souls or From Software game that just like in all the other ones, it's those weird gargoyle dudes that just carry mm. you from one place to the other. And this one is a giant rope toy thing. I don't know. What yeah. It's, it's, I think it's in the item description. It's called the uh, straw doll. Um, what's really funny about it is that it has a dick, which is clearly intentional. I mean, yeah, like, it's, like you said, from software has a, has a sense of humor for sure. They definitely do. <laughs> um, and yeah, he kind of just like dabs you onto the, the, uh, beginning he does to... dab you. Oh my god! I thought the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> he just sort of dabs you into the entrance of a fountainhead palace, and that's where the the true monk fight that uh, Michael was referencing. Uh, that's where that happens. 
And I think I remember reading somewhere that um, the true monk fight was one of the first ones that the, the team developed. Like, that was sort wow. of their their vertical slice of what the, the boss combat in Sekiro would look like. Um, and I think it does a really good job of, of, you know, one, it's one of the best settings, I think, for a boss fight in in maybe FromSoft. I, don't, I just love the environment. It's so you. cool. Um, something that Sekiro does that not a lot of, you know, that Dark Souls or Bloodborne or even Elden Ring to an extent, it uses a lot of really vibrant colors. Um, yes. And Fountainhead Palace in particular, I think, shows them sort of expanding on their uh, their their art design in a way that a lot of the other games are, are very, you know, to keep things moody, they play in a very sort of like muddled, washed out colors. Yeah. And in this, they really turn up the, the, the brightness and vibrancy. There's um, a lot of pinks and a lot of whites in that area that you don't see yeah. literally anywhere else in a from or any other from software game, I should say. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. um, I, I did not know. I, I think that that really speaks volumes to that fight, seeing how that was like their first, like, I don't want like test or first, like, um, yeah, I, it's a proof of concept, I guess. It, oh man, that, that's actually speaks wonders because you, you do that boss fight is really fun because you do get a little bit of everything in that mm-hmm. fight. You get all three phases of a, um, of the Makiri, you get the jump or I shouldn't say the Makiri, the, the, um, whatever that, the symbol that pops up, the death symbol or whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You get the, the jump, you get the Makiri and you get the, um, you get the grab and you get yeah. lots of good sword play. You get, you know, a lot of the, um, like the ethereal, the ghost type, uh, creatures, yeah. like just a lot of countering and a lot of parrying. It's just, it's, it literally is a, that's probably one of the best fights in the game. I agree with you. Um, yeah. Had a really hard time with it too. That one wasn't, it didn't have. Well, cause it tests you on everything. Like you were saying, um, you know, and one of the central things about this game, I think, is is having change-ups in the middle of a fight, you know, where phase two plays radically different than phase one. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of, of FromSoft bosses, you know, maybe bosses get more aggressive in their phase two and phase three. Maybe they add a couple of new moves, but it's always pretty much the same guy that you're fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Sekiro, things can change a lot. Um the true monk is a pretty good example of that where at first you're fighting, you know, this sort of disciplined warrior who has this big blade, like uh, rod with a blade on it. And they have this sort of readable rhythm. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's slower than you think. And you have to anticipate a little bit more. Um, Phase three, something happens and it gets taken over by, you know, this weird centipede creature. All of a sudden it's moves are much more erratic and, unpredictable um it forces you to think on your feet a little bit and you know it it plays dirty in a lot of ways where it'll like you know throw bugs at you which apparently freak out wolf enough to kill him um (laughs) (laughs) fucking terror mechanic terror is the it is the worst status i think out of all of them out of anything that FromSoft has come up with. I'm including fucking Frenzy and Bloodborne, which I think was also <laughs> bullshit. This one is the most bullshit. I agree. It, it builds it, too fast. And it's like uh, a per, a speaking particularly about one enemy type, because I think there's two of them. Maybe there might be more, but that I encountered mm-hmm. two of them in the game. 
Um, one of them was in the Fountainhead Palace at the base of the waterfall. The uh, yeah. Then you just get hit by that beam, and it's like you're instantly terrified, and you just die. It's like, yep. Why? Like, <laughs> why? It's never satisfying. Yeah, those guys are a pain. The headless fights. Oh my god, dude. The ones underwater. Like, what the fuck yeah, oh. is that? Like, come on. <laughs> Miserable. The uh, the one Miserable that- shit. There's the one at the base of Ashina Castle before you go down into the uh, where the monkeys are in like the high weeds in yeah, that yeah. water. There's a headless there, the, but yeah. the headless that gave me the biggest issues are the one deep in the Fountainhead Palace Lake. I didn't kill him. Agreed. I was like, I just went down there, got the bead, and fucking left. I was like, I don't. It's <laughs> not worth it. No. You you get. I mean, the only thing you get for it is. Um, you know, reusable sugars, mm. which I didn't end up using all that much anyway. I used the stealth one occasionally, but that was kind of it. Yeah. I used the power um, one good bit, actually. Yeah. But uh, I should play around with those more. That's um, a, that's the thing about this game is like I, I, I know we talked about the this prosthetics and stuff. You know, I, as I was like go through and I would watch other people play or I'll like I'll pull up a stream when I'm working or something like that. I see people like. They had diehard Shinobi prosthetic. I didn't use a single item or tool really this entire game other than heals. Like it was just me and my sword and the game Uh, didn't feel any harder or easier one way or the other. I know you touched on how they're not meant to, but like Mm -hmm. even in fights, like um, for instance, the, the guardian ape, when I talked to Justin after I beat the game, he was like, I can't believe you beat that ape without using uh, fireworks. I didn't even have the fireworks. I eventually <laughs> went back because I didn't know you could buy them. I was like, I, right. I don't have this. <laughs> Whatever this prosthetic is, I, do, I didn't use anything. And I, the only thing I ended up using was uh, the spear to break yeah. do some additional posture on the... Because um, like you said, it's not a game-winning tactic. It doesn't do more damage. It just knocks the posture down just a little bit more. Yeah. And there are certain situations where I think they really signpost that like you know, you can use this tool in this scenario. Um, like right when you get the the hatchet um, in uh, the Harada estate and they immediately throw a bunch of guys with shields at you and you sort of go, okay, I think I think I get how this works. Yeah. Um, you know, outside of some really, really obviously signposted examples, I didn't fuck around with the, the Shinobi prosthetic tools all that much. Um, but you're right, because I've seen people like you know on streams and stuff and i think if you're like you know quote unquote really good at this game that's that's sort of the next step is getting sort of creative and more expressive with how you use those tools yeah for sure and i I like i like the balance too because like there's the the mindset initially would be i'm better at this game because i'm not using the prosthetic tools but then Mm -hmm. as you learn the very i would say the very they're varied use case, but they're also a very limited use case for each one of these different types of tools and how they can be utilized in certain combat scenarios. I think that, like you said, it is it is arguably the next step in how you play this game is yeah. to open up, you know, using your uh, your umbrella to, you know, to knock parries back or using, you know, your um, like all those the whistle attacks and all this this crazy shit that I've, I've only seen people use in videos. Right. Um, that so uh, maybe eventually I'll get there, but like I'm still really one. I haven't even fought every boss in the game from a story perspective. I think I'm still missing two. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe three, but I think only two. Actually, no. Maybe one. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But yeah, you're 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 in that range. No, I think it's two because um, I still need to fight True Owl, and I still haven't yeah. fought Ishin yet. So. Right, but you know you've gotten a, you've gotten enough of a sense like the, the Ishin in the alt route and inner owl or not inner owl but true owl or whatever he's called um you know they're not radically different than the versions that you fought already they're i wouldn't say that ishin is harder he's i i'm worse at that fight because i don't do it as much um the owl fight is definitely harder and not one of my favorites I've heard. I've heard it's uh, actually just today in one of the the Facebook communities. I mean, people were talking about it, and they were saying a lot of people were saying it was their hardest boss in the game to fight. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I believe that. I I think probably um, Ishin is harder to learn, but you're gonna do that fight way more often because getting to the true owl fight is a bitch. You got to do a lot of like circuitous bullshit. Um, when this game released, it there was no online component at all. Um, no notes, no bloodstains, no nothing. So I think it's kind of less justifiable to put really, really hidden stuff in the game because you don't have a chance, or at least when it were released, you didn't have a chance to interact with anybody else outside of, like, you know, outside of the game and going into a forum or some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't a sense of community in this game, which is fine because that wasn't, I, I don't think, one like, you know, a design intent. Um, but recently when they added the DLC, which is basically just a boss rush, um, they also added in notes, bloodstains, and, and made it a little bit more beginner-friendly in that way. Mm-hmm. I really didn't even utilize that that stuff, the remnants and things like that. I I just kind of yeah. left those alone there in my playthrough. Um, yeah, I I I generally play with that stuff off too. Like it just kind of litters everything. Man, what I would not give for a PvP. Oh my god, dude! Can you imagine that? Just jumping in, like me and you, just just straight up, like. I don't even know if they could structure PvP in that way with this type of game. Like, I think it'd be really hard. One, like, has has PvP ever worked in these fucking games? Oh, that. Oh, well, that's <laughs> fair. <laughs> I just, like, I don't even mean like an invasion system. I mean like a an arena that you and I could jump in, and then yeah. it was like it's just fight, parry, heal, do whatever, mm-hmm. you, like get to the end. It would be like another boss battle. Like a yeah. uh, a corrupted monk from or not corrupted monk uh, the monk at the end of uh, area three mm-hmm. the tower of Latria and Demon Souls where it's like a person right, right, right. but no I just I, that would be so crazy if like you, they could time those types of attack but I think not having control of the the AI to know when you know those precision hits would would trigger like a parry I think that would be nearly impossible to code so. it'd be a lot of mind games you'd have to, I mean if they could get the netcode running. Yeah, oh, it, it would be such a good like. You'd have to do so many fake outs, and it'd be fun though. You know, it would be. <laughs> it'd be fun as shit. What are you talking about? Oh man. Um, so we're closing in on the end of the game at this point. You've made it up to the divine realm. You've beaten the true monk. You've gone through Fountainhead, 
and you've reached fuck that the, area. Fuck that area. I forgot. I remember the blazing bull fight, mm-hmm. and then getting there, and then running around the the estate, and there was another one, and I was like, I fucking hate this game. I was like, I just don't want to <laughs> deal with this. I handled them without dying because it's not really like a boss like the other blazing bull was. It was more just like a annoying yeah. enemy that has a prayer bead, but yeah. still, it was annoying. You still got to deal with it. But um, just to correct something I said before, there were actually two boss fights, actual boss fights in this game that I did not die on. One was mm-hmm. the folding monkey, screen monkeys, which yep. I, I just don't understand that boss fight. I, it felt so out of place for this game. I it's It's gimmicky, and I guess sort of like it's a little bit goofy which fine um it it's not something that i particularly look forward to on every playthrough every time that i make it through that fight you know without having to reset or or whatever um i don't quite know how i pulled it off where i feel like somehow i exploited some system and i managed to get a hit on a monkey that i wasn't supposed to be able to do it yeah so i it's just I don't have a sense of mastery over that one, and I don't think I want to invest the time to get good at it. Does anyone need to though? Because like I, I don't even feel like that was the the point of the fight. Because it's like, like I just I just did it today again, mm. um, and like you essentially for the, if you've never played Sekiro or if you're playing through it, you're essentially there's four monkeys. One's invisible. You have to track them down by its footsteps, and the other three just run all over the fucking place, and you just got to track them, just run after them and kill them. And it's annoying as shit. They don't respond to any projectiles or shinobi tools or anything. You just have to hit them with your sword and kill them. And it's fucking stupid, and I hated every second of it because arguably you just spend most of your time running in a, in a circle until you get close enough to whack them with your sword. Yeah. But um, So that one and... Can we talk about the divine dragon fight? Because that was fucking awesome. That shit is... I mean, that's... It is one of the most cinematic fights. That shit rules. Yeah. It's not a particularly difficult fight. No. I didn't die in it at all. I came close, but I did not Mm -hmm. die. And it was... But that's the thing is, like, even when I finished it, I messaged you and I said, man, I don't think that fight was supposed to be particularly hard, but... It was almost like a reward for getting through the area because holy shit was it fucking awesome. I I completely agree with that. Where I think it does it has a sense of payoff to it. You know, there's a little bit of catharsis where you feel like you've made it up until this point and now you can go toe to toe with a god. Yeah, it's fucking sweet. Like and it it lets you There's a mechanic in the game like I don't know what's it called the lightning thing lightning reversal yeah to where when lightning strikes you hold out your like sword like almost like you're parrying midair and your sword Mm kind of harnesses the lightning and then you kind of swing it and it throws the lightning back and up until this point i felt like that was insanely difficult to nail and it still is but this it's like this boss fight gives that a little bit of leniency and lets you toy around with it for the sake of moving through this and enjoying the game for what it is. And I Mm -hmm. feel like I said, it's a reward in that it lets you feel fucking badass in those moments. And you're swinging from like these weird dragon tree things. And like, the point of this is like, you are not going, you're here to make the dragon cry essentially. 
and it's mm-hmm. like at the point in time you prove yourself, the dragon leans over and you cut its eye and it it cries and you take the tear. And I was like, God, this is just this is just fucking cool. Like it's just, it's <laughs> such a spectacle. I think is the word that yeah. I used. It's this really really beautiful fight, really well designed. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Um, and there's like a light bit of of prep. I think going on in that fight with the, the lightning reversal, because for the final boss, if you can pull it off, it'll make things way easier on you. For so sure. I think there is like just kind of a signposting of being like, Hey, you know, if you want to fuck around with this for a second, maybe that's a good idea. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I, I told you that the lightning reversal was literally how I beat the, the mm-hmm. boss, the final boss. It was like, it was a moment of either you nail this lightning reversal in this moment. Cause I had already set myself up to do it. I either catch that lightning or don't and die. As I catch this lightning and he dies or don't and I nailed it and I won. And I was like, oh my God, this was fucking sweet. Yeah. So. Oh man. Uh, yeah. Let, you know what? Let's, let's get into it because I, I have nothing but good things to say about the final boss fight of this game against uh, Ishin of Ashina. Um. So you've collected this, uh, this immortal blade, which allows you to kill things that generally can't be killed. There is another, like, you know, kind of mirror image of that blade, which can bring things back from the dead. Um, and the whole gig with that other blade is that when you bring somebody back to life, um, they come back at peak strength. So... In your final fight against Genichiro, when he realizes that he can't beat you, he summons in his recently deceased grandfather, Ishin. Um, Ishin is, hands down, my favorite FromSoft character. Um, A lot of times, the final boss in a Dark Souls or in Elden Ring, um, their introduction to you is right at the end, at that very fight, you know, where you haven't seen them before, um, you're you're kind of thrown against that fight with them. Um, they're kind of unknowable and larger than life. And that isn't the case with Ishin. You You'll talk with Ishin a lot throughout the game. You have opportunities to, like, sit down with him, get some, like, lore information from him. Uh, you can drink with him, and it doesn't even feel that weird. He'll tell you stories about how he used to throw, like, these huge ragers and, like, <laughs> invite the other bosses that you fought. And that also feels like, you know, a, something that you couldn't picture happening in, like, Lordran. <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> it's true. That's you, true. <laughs> you get to know him as this, like, really kind of intensely focused and, and purposeful guy. He, he just gives off this sense of confidence and drive in all of those conversations. And all of it comes to a head in his fight with you, where he really pushes you. It is a, a perfect sort of final exam to the game, um, where it really walks the... Like, it, I, your, your mileage may vary here, but I never felt like the fight was unfair. I found it incredibly difficult. But... I always knew how I had screwed up and what I could do better or like realizing I have to just learn this combo that he does a little bit better. Um, you know, I, I, 
there's such a um, it just brings to head so much of the mechanical depth and the personality that comes out in these fights. It it sort of cements what the game was trying to accomplish, and it is just such a success. Yeah, I think I think my favorite thing about this, and and I really started to pay attention to it after the last time that you and I had. Uh, you had told me that Ishan was your favorite character and you had sent me that, uh, that meme, which was kind of funny <laughs> because it's how true it is where, you know, it's Ishan and he has like all the photos of like Genichiro and Emma yeah. and Kuro, Kuro or whatever his name is. Yeah. And then he just like moves them all aside and puts a picture of you and the wolf with yeah. a little heart and sits it down with a big smile <laughs> on his so face. Good. But like hearkening back to what we talked about just a few minutes ago with, um, owl and how big of a dickhead he is and like every interaction mm-hmm. you have it's very shady and underhanded but he and he's your father and then you go to all these conversations with Ishan that you have you know this is a this is a boss that you can either fight you know as um whenever he is himself or mm-hmm. whenever he's brought back at um actually and i don't know do you have to fight him again either way is the final boss of the game and either ending Genichiro with Sword Saint? Uh, so in the alt route, it's Emma and then Ishin. And that's it? Um, that's it. Okay, okay. So either way, he is, he's arguably the final boss. But regardless, yes. like I said, your, your real father is a, a dick face and you, you hate everything about him. And the only reason that you would side with him is a sense full of loyalty to the Shinobi Code. Mm-hmm. But like... Ishin, like you said, you drink with the guy, you laugh with the guy, you tell stories with him, you sit with him, you get to know him. And it's mm-hmm. like a real father. And then yeah. when it comes down to the time where, like you said the earlier, just hearkening back to the beginning of this conversation with the rise and the fall of nations, it's almost like you said, it is a test, but it's almost like Ishin is putting this up against you because if he is going to let the nation that he is putting his on his shoulders fall it's going to be someone that he, to someone that he feels has stood the test of time that he feels like is a son to him like he feels was able to overcome him and if there is a succession after him it will be to someone that can actually usher in whatever new age and that was better than what he had and it's so powerful it's so cool yeah. and that's i think that's a really good point um, you know, and not something that I'd, I'd really considered before, but you're right. Ishin really believes that progress is made through conflict. Um, and in his life, that has been absolutely true. This dude has forged an, forged an entire nation just based on how his own skill and force of will. Um, you know, and, and more than anything else, I think he wants to test that at all times. So him having a chance to face you as his like at his peak strength um is is just that it's a sign of respect and it's a sign of you know if he's gonna go out it's gonna be because someone was ultimately better than him Mm -hmm. yeah um that's so good it's so good (laughs) and he's he's so fucking i love even when you beat him and he just assumes like you know this sort of dignified pose where he's down, got his head bowed, ready for you to cut his head off. Um, you pull at your sword, and his last words are, do it. 
Shit, my god, damn. What a fucking I love him. <laughs> you won't no balls. Yeah, that's basically it. That it that is him in a nutshell, man. Um I, I will say I didn't like you said, I didn't feel like any moment in that boss fight was um unfair at all. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, I had the, the moments where I wanted to slam my controller on the against the table but it's like especially up to this point you know there's nothing in the game that hadn't already made itself present that you have not overcome no move that happens that you haven't seen before that you yourself haven't mastered or you could do yourself i mean every thing other than a random gun that he pulls out of his ass which you've seen (laughs) guns before um just felt super familiar to me Mm -hmm. and there was no good reason, and that's part of the reason why I found the fight so frustrating. Was that how, why can I not overcome this as easily mm-hmm. as you know some of the people that I've seen do this online? Um, trust me, nothing frustrates me more than seeing someone like do a no hit run of oh, yeah. and I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing? How life? even? How even? <laughs> no, you're right. It, there's no new mechanics being introduced at this point. This is just a, a refinement of everything that you've already seen. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think you're, that makes it both fair and incredibly frustrating. <laughs> yeah. It's, and I think it, it just touches on the, the emotional connection that the game makes with the player at the, at the expense of, you know, whatever time that you invest in it, because, you know, I I committed myself to beating this game. I was like, I will finish this game regardless of the emotional toll it will take on my life and that it did take mm-hmm. on my life and <laughs> likely shorten my lifespan by a few years just due to the, the stress and the headaches that it caused me. But I, I'm comfortable admitting that, you know, as someone who has beaten every From Software game um, post Darks or Demon Souls, that... Mm-hmm this game was my biggest failure not completing like it just stuck in the back of my head that it was like good job you beat every souls game but you still can't beat Sekiro you fucking loser and the reason I wanted to finish it was and I don't know if I've told you this was because of a conversation I had with with you and I think we actually had it on the on the show where you had said yeah, I finished Sekiro. You made a comment about it, and you're like, I get to be a gatekeepy asshole. And <laughs> it it was funny, and it it is funny, but it did stick with me because whenever I started playing through it, like I said, whenever, especially Genichiro, you had said, you did that. Like, you mm-hmm. did it yourself. And I just challenge everyone out there that's... I've seen countless comments of the same thing I was thinking, that... Oh, it just wasn't for me. The excuses of, oh, it's just I'm not into like Japan culture. I think I made that once, uh, which I'm, I'm really not. But it's like it, it had nothing to do with it. Like, stop lying yeah. to yourself, listener. Like you can do if I can do it, the, the derpiest fucking Souls player there is. I can you can do it. I've, I'm probably the worst Souls player. All my friends look at me like he's the Souls guy. I'm probably the worst at it because they all handled it better than I did when they played through it. I have more problems with bosses than probably anybody else does out of all the people that I know that play these games. And I beat this game. Like you just have to 
I know we say this all the time, meet the game where it is and just so, focus. Agreed. Well, so, and this is something that I was thinking about a lot today. Um, you know, because I don't think we can really talk about this game without talking about, you know, the yet again sort of controversy that it stirred up around, like, game difficulty. Um, I think we've been pretty consistent in our, our review of uh, Elden Ring and Dark Souls games where, you know, I don't think an easy mode is necessary in those games because you're given so many tools to make the game easier. And within the context of the game, uh, of Elden Ring or Dark Souls, you're able to decide your own level of difficulty. Mm-hmm. What tools you end up using, what strategies, what build, that, you know, in a very dynamic and within the context of the game, will make the game easier or harder. Um, Sekiro, I think, kind of complicates that conversation because I fully believe it is probably possible to be unable to complete this game <laughs> because it asks, you know, a lot from you. It asks a very particular set of skills. And if you don't have that reaction time or you aren't willing to like invest the time to get good at it, which fair enough, it's not your bag. Um, you know, then you can't see the credits roll. Um, I listened to a YouTuber not too long ago who made a really interesting point. And that is that, like, Sekiro actually does have difficulty modifiers. But they only make the game harder. (laughs) Where there's two additional things you can do which introduce some, like, uh, chip damage. If you don't know what that is, that means that if you're blocking an attack, um, generally, in the course of the main game, if you're blocking an attack, none of that damage will go through. It'll just deflect off your sword. If you turn this particular setting on, some of that damage will go through even if you're blocking. Um, Which means that even if you're doing everything right, you'll still take damage. Um, The other one is just... Yeah, the other one is (laughs) just a straight-up increase to enemy damage and health. Uh, All it does is just give your enemies a buff. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason those two are there is because once you've hit a base level of competency in the game, you know, once you played through it the first time and you go back through New Game Plus, you may feel like you're just storming through it. Um, you'll have climbed over the difficulty in a way that the game will never totally scale with you. Um, and if you're trying to get back that feeling of mastery, of really trying to, to learn the game again, you can turn these two options on if you want to. It's purely just for you to be able to decide, like, this is how difficult I want the game to be. Hmm. So I guess the argument would be, shouldn't there be an option for somebody on the inverse of that? You know, if we're trusting people to adjust the difficulty to their taste, but only when it's going up, why shouldn't we trust people to turn it down if they need to? Um... And I, I don't have a dog in this fight necessarily, but I do think that like there's probably a better case to be made for an easy mode in Sekiro than there is in something like Souls, where I think we've come out in the sense of like there already is one in Souls. 
I think that people need to shut the fuck up about easy modes. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, I will say this. Um, I think if they were to add something in Sekiro, and the reason I say that, one, was just to, to be a pedantic ass. Um, sure. But two, in something like Sekiro, you're... Try, try to think about it like where... What do they give you more of? If they were to make it easier, mm-hmm. what would they give you more? They give you more health. That's not going to help you because if you like, it, you might find that you beat your health bar being bigger or having double the amount of heals might make you able to withstand something. But in the early game, but let's say you get up against a battle like Guinea Tree or Sword State Nation, it doesn't matter how many heals you have, you can't chip that boss's health away by running up to him and smacking him and run away. Run it, it, it just it just won't work. Mm-hmm. The only possible thing I could think of, because I have put thought into this to make this game quote unquote easier, would to be introducing like an auto parry, like or expanding the time out for, you know, when a parry would successfully land. But yeah, we've talked about this before. If you do this, you are effectively. And again, I understand that there's other viewpoints here. So this is, again, this is just my viewpoint. I feel like you're destroying the image of the game if you do these types of things. I think that there's a sense of satisfaction and a community that is structured around the fact that people have overcame something. I got enjoyment out of this game because I took the time. I don't, I don't really, again, I don't really care for Japanese culture. I'm not trying to offend anyone, but like things based in that setting aren't really my bag. Um, I don't really care for like uh, samurai swords and the, the general story structure of the game isn't really something I love, but forcing me to get intimate with the battle system in the game, like we've talked about how that just the, the battle system itself has its own sensitive narrative structure, how it ties in with, you know, how you can learn how different bosses have interacted and things like that, just because of how intimate you get with the combat to see those things. I think that if you take those things away from the game and don't make people focus on it as much, then the developer's vision of narrative, of story, of combat, of everything will be missed, not just the combat itself. You won't get all the the vision that was originally in this creation by stripping away what's already there and making it more accessible. And that's fair. You know, FromSoft, look, it doesn't matter because FromSoft has made it very clear that, like, they have a way that they're going to make games and obviously no amount of, like, discourse from people outside of their studio is going to have an impact on on their own ethos. Um, (laughs) But you're right. You know what? They have an intended experience for this game and they've, they've... tuned this difficulty to be where it is for a reason and i think you know if if this is how they want to present it then you kind of have to respect the the work of art for work of art for what it is Mm -hmm. yeah i just (laughs) i mean look at uh, look at elden ring i mean a lot of people out there i don't know how many times i've seen oh my god i've beaten elden ring i finally captured a souls game and I know I don't say that because I'm like good for you you beat the easiest one. I mean literally awesome. Like I'm so happy there are more people that are part of this community. 
I will be mm-hmm. just as happy whenever they tackle Dark Souls 1 or when they tackle Dark Souls 3 and whenever they finally get to the point that they tackle Sekiro because that's what the games are. You you were so thrilled to beat Elden Ring because you knew how hard and how challenging these games could can be. And if that's your that was your first one, I'm sure you did feel the challenge there. But yeah. like me personally, Elden Ring was probably the easiest Souls game I've ever played. And then getting into this one, I know I you know, we could talk about right now whether or not this is actually a Souls game or not. I don't believe this. <laughs> Stop classifying Sekiro as a Souls game. Um, but just from software games in general, I'm, I'm not saying that I don't want there to be an easy mode because I'm, a, I'm trying to gatekeep this game. I'm saying that the experience, like I've said many times, the experience of these games comes from meeting the game where it is and learning the things that they want you to learn because then it will open up the door to deepening your understanding of the story and the narrative and the combat and everything else the game has to offer. That's that's the entry point that you're trying to mm-hmm. change. You're trying to change the door you walk in. But if you can just go through that door and master the entry, it goes into so many more rooms that have so many more satisfying things for you to discover. So, yeah, yeah. Well, Michael, is there any, you know, is there any moment in particular that really stuck out to you in this game? Something that you're still thinking back on? Um, anything about the game that we didn't touch on yet that maybe you want to address? Um, I would say that probably my, I would go as far as to say my all-in moment on the game was Genichiro, the mm-hmm. the fight at the top of uh, Kuro's temple. Um, or the dojo, I should call it. Um, I know we've talked about it a ton already, but like it, like you said, it's a, it's such a checkpoint in a way that just it just challenges you in every way. And this game doesn't just ch- whenever you fight these bosses. At least this is it for me. Maybe it's because I'm too emotionally attached to these types of games. But I just I wasn't just challenged like vi- the video. I was challenged mentally. It, it was like physically exhausting to put myself through this fight. Like I was sweating, like not just my hands, but like literally in the face, like because I was so intensely focused and was having such a hard time. And yes, I was getting worked up and I was getting angry and I had to take those, you know, to take that step back. And, um, and that was the first time in this game that I had felt that way. And that mm-hmm. will always stick with me. And of course, you know, like we talked about that, the total fucking fake out at the the you know the boss battle it's just, oh it's, my God. it's such an emotional moment you know it's and it's so hard to find games that it can pin that down and make you feel you know whether just angry or emotionally connected or upset or you know have those you know the staunch strong emotional reactions and um, that was the first one that Sekiro made me had I got upset before and you know frustrated at it many times but that was the first one that really hit me and i just um i can't speak because like even hearing about what was coming and knowing some of the other bosses that were down the road not like their move sets but just knowing what was there being able to overcome genichiro even you had told me that he's you said you beat genichiro you can beat this game like you've got Mm -hmm. this and that was such a strong that resonated so strongly with me because of how much of my, my heart I had already poured into this game. I know it sounds like I'm 
professing my undying love to this game, but it's just, it's such a challenge and you just, mm -hmm. you don't grow unless you're challenged and that's how life is in general. So I know I'm, I'm trying to pull some deeper meaning out of a video game, but that's just how I felt about it. And that was one, it was my all in moment. And two, I, I will never forget that about this game. You know, there were, there were some forgettable moments and bosses mm. that I didn't care for, but that was one that just was a brutal challenge that I've, I'm so happy that I was able to, to interact with. I'll, I'll absolutely agree with that. Mine was not dissimilar to yours. Um, my, I got stuck with lady butterfly. Um, and I didn't realize that I, I was doing that fight out of sequence on my first playthrough where I fought her before I got to um, the guy on the horse whose name is escaping me right now. So I thought that was the first boss fight in the game. Um, and she kicked my shit in for like two hours. And I, I just sort of... I, if you've played a Dark Souls game or any FromSoft game, really, um, y you'll know what I mean when you, I say like, you know, with some bosses, you just get really determined to bash your face against a wall until it breaks. Um, you know, where you've just decided, like, I'm not going to try to look up anything else. I'm not going to try to go anywhere else. <laughs> it's just me and this motherfucker in a room until they go down. And you just, like, bit by bit by bit start to break down the wall. Um, and that was my experience with uh, Lady Butterfly. So when I finally beat her... Um, and went on to the next boss, which I guess you're supposed to encounter first, but you don't have to. Um, I just I just put him in the ground. Like, I felt like I had really started to climb over the difficulty curve a little bit. Um, and so while Sekiro's narrative itself is a lot about, you know, the, the sort of natural cycle of life and death that, that FromSoft games are always sort of obsessed with, um, loyalty, honor, and duty. This game for me is what you said. It's about mastery. It's about that sense of feeling yourself inch by inch, starting to, to learn a new skill, um, constantly being tested on that and finding success. Um, there's, there's really nothing like it. Um, even if you think, if you've listened to this and realized, like, okay, you know, character action games are not my bag. I don't like trying to, you know, uh, parry things. I don't have good reactions. I, I really would encourage you to at least just try it out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think mo you'll, you'll probably surprise yourself. Um, that's, 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 that's sort of my, my last word is just play this fucking game. It is... But even far and away, even on that topic, the parry, like, because I, I've I have also seen that argument that I don't like parrying in Souls games. I'm not going to like this game. I don't parrying is, it's so different in this game. Like it isn't a, mm -hmm. it's not a, it's not a parry. It's not a opportunity. It is how you play. It is effectively mm -hmm. an attack in this game. And whenever you establish your connection with that that parry, it's more about. Obviously, all parry is about nailing the timing, but it isn't a one small little hit window. It is effectively your opportunity to attack. It's essentially the first phase of every swing. So you parry, then you attack. So like, learn, one, give it a shot. Two, 
There's like <laughs> someone told me this the other day, and I, it's got stuck. It's like there's three phases of Sekiro. There's one getting excited to play it, two realizing you fucking hate this game and you're never gonna play it again, and then three realizing that you love the game and you're gonna keep playing it. <laughs> so, and that was exactly my <laughs> my reaction to it as well. So it, it just stuck with me. But I, I think you're right. Um, like. One other thing that you had said that I wanted to, to touch on um, is that the the way you were talking about the way that it is on these bosses and how it's how it's structured is there, it's so smart because like you said with Lady Butterfly um, you you meet this boss and it's one of the one of the earlier bosses in the game but you're right you're supposed to meet the horse boss there's different mm-hmm. ways you tackle enemies in this game and there you either do one where you break down their posture. Two, where yep. you tackle their health or a combination of both of those at the same time. And that that's just another layer of the game that you know we haven't even discussed yet to where every boss that you encounter, you have to figure out which way you need to tackle this. And it's, yeah. it's really cool to, to take the first part of the phase of the game and try to figure that out because some will even throw, you know, throw you a loop. Or mm-hmm. some are easier to do one way or the other, but both are feasible, i.e. the ape, to where you can yeah. definitely posture kill it. But I had an easier time just chipping its health down um, because I couldn't nail the, the good posture hit with the, with the spear. But I think it's so creative and ingenious of them to create um, not only a structure to, you know, parry your way through the battle or, you know, overcome it with, you know, certain attacks and learning the boss's movesets. But also giving you you the ability to, you know, one drive yourself one direction, and you know force your way through a victory to a way you're not supposed to, or look at it as a way to there is a, a definitive path to overcome this boss, and I can take either one. And they just with something as structured and as one on one as these fights are, they somehow found a way to introduce variety in the gameplay with something as like I said, is combative and as linear as the as the fights are. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I think one of the like major design, um, you know, pillars of this game is forcing you to engage with an enemy as much as humanly possible. You know, and that goes beyond just learning the move sets, learning the block timing. You're right. You have to. Every strategy for every boss is going to be a little bit different in the way you approach it. You know, there is never one size fits all for this. You kind of have to read the fight and figure out what's working and what's not. Um, it's very hard to tune out while you're playing Sekiro. You, you, you said this at the beginning, and I think that absolutely holds true. You are, you are going to have to, like, really focus in on what you're doing. Um, in a way that not a lot of other games really force you to. For sure. And Souls, Souls quote-unquote, uh, experts, are they, mm. they will struggle with this game harder than most other people will, in my opinion. I did. Because yeah. it's literally the exact opposite of that in a Souls game, to where you find a structure, you find a, a way to fight that really works for you, and you stick to it and you master that and then you get through it. This game forces you the opposite way. You find the best way to fight what's coming at you every time and only then will you be able to overcome it. So I, I really do think that they've, they flipped the script entirely on purpose. 
Yeah. Just to be able to oh, yeah. introduce variety. They're like, hey, we have broad combat that anyone can make to get victory. Now let's make victory only achievable through the ability to take one path to open up, you know, a, a broad sense of victory. Um, and I really respect from software for, for doing that. And as always, discussing this game has made me have a, a, such a, a harder appreciation for it. Obviously getting a, you know, seeing the credits roll on this game was a huge monumental gaming victory and moment for me. Uh, I know that sounds really stupid, but I was, <laughs> it was a huge moment for me. Um, sure. But, uh, yeah, I, there's, there's so much to talk about with this game and there it's literally the most rewarding game I've ever played in my life. So I, I absolutely agree with that. And I'm, I'm curious to see what, you know, other people's reaction to this game has been because I know I know for a fact that more people have bounced off of this game than probably any other FromSoft game um, and if you're listening to this and that's you like I I can't stress it enough give it one more shot um, and and try to focus in on you know just know that this is different than a lot of other FromSoft games and don't get too frustrated with yourself you know, it's a it's a learning process, and that learning is going to come real slow at the beginning. But I promise you, if you stick with it, it will accumulate faster and faster, and and pretty soon you'll be breezing through it. For sure, yeah, hundred percent. I um, <sighs> let me ask you a question: Who's other than Ishin? Who's your favorite mm-hmm. boss in the game? Ooh. Um, cause like, obviously the reason I say that is like having, I think, I really do think that like Ishin and the sword saint Ishin are like, it's hard to, to look at this game with this because the game has such a sense of, of mastery and it gives everyone that rewarding feeling. I do really feel like most people are going to look at the game and say, you know, Ishin, that was my favorite boss battle. Because yeah. of that sense, that reward that they feel. Um, mm-hmm. So I was, I thought that that would be a better way to phrase it. Was other than that guy, who did you have the most fun with, and what was your most rewarding fight? That's fair. Um, I I think probably True Monk would be my favorite for a lot of the reasons that we talked about. You know, one, it's an incredibly cool setting, and two, I think it has the most variety of fight of you know fighting styles, um, where. You, you get a little taste of, of everything that the game wants to do with its combat. Um, I think that one's pretty great. In terms of, you know, the the amount of narrative that they pack into one fight, like, yeah, it's it's got to be Owl. Mm. You know, so it's a, it's, it's a tie between those two. How about you? Probably, obviously I love both of those. I would have to probably have to say it's the Ape. And the reason is yeah. I love the, I love how different, like we talked about earlier, how different it is from every other fight in the game. And I love how you have, I, the way I kind of looked at that fight, it was like we talked about in the beginning where he's, he's clumsy, he's reckless, and he's kind of in the situation he's in and was because he wasn't good at what he was doing. And then at this point in the game, you've, you've mastered one of the harder bosses you're on a, mm. you have a defined sense of, you know, the journey that you're going to be on. 
and then it pits you up against this creature that's that's clumsy and reckless and ridiculous and it makes in my mind it made me kind of look at that and go this was you know kind of what mm-hmm. ye, the juxtaposition of who you are now versus who you were then and you can still be a great warrior but that doesn't mean that if you're not focused and determined and to stay on the right path that you won't just become just a monster and obviously i don't i don't think that's what they were going for with this fight but i do think that that's i think that that's an inter- an interpretation that anyone could have but i just love how um when you're putting wolf up against a creature that of one of this size and this strength mm-hmm. even so with all these other fights you know you're you're hitting each other with swords and you know uh, pairing attacks and things it all feels very realistic and doable and this even with the sense of scale for this type of creature i love that there's like you know whenever you you parry an attack or you block an attack there's like a shove to you across the water or like right. it take there's so much meticulous detail on how they're able to scale how this boss battle he is a massive creature he is something that's so much bigger than you and in some other ways to where other video games would kind of overlook that and make the sense of scale of the battle or the sense of strength even. You do get the feeling that even if you, like I said, you you parry or block an attack or you get hit even, like there's not a normal amount of damage. Like every hit from that creature, you take almost 75% of your health bar depending on where you're at uh, yeah. with your health. And I, I love that sense of scale and um, just the 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 broad depth to that fight um and even when it goes into the next portion being able to to get the idea i think it's the first time in the game you see you know the way that that like particularly when it like stands up on its tiptoes and kind of like wobbles back and forth you get that idea it's like there's something really fucking weird other than the fact that it's headless there's something really strange (laughs) going on in this moment and this is it gives the opportunity for that narrative depth that you don't see a lot or it it's a new avenue to explore with something that's just it's literally a creature and not just a human so i I love how they utilize that it's very very well done i have a lot of respect for that there's a lot of restraint i think in the in the guardian ape fights design or in the guardian ape itself i think its character design shows um a lot of restraint that you don't generally see in a lot of video game enemy designs. Um, you know, cause it's a fairly important boss and they obviously, you know, there's a, there's a lot of focus on it. Um, and I think with video game enemies for other studios, there tends to be a lot of over design, mm-hmm. you know, it just, if you're listening to this episode, look up, uh, you know, Darksiders is a pretty good example of this. Oh of my like God. <laughs> where <laughs> like somebody started drawing a character and they just never fucking stopped. Uh, <laughs> so true. Oh my god, that's a good point. <laughs> and the simplicity of the ape, where it has like, you know, a really disconcertingly angry face, and obviously it has a sword sticking out through its neck. But other than that, like it's just a big ape. Um and so I think the simplicity of that design makes the sort of horror of the second scene, uh, second phase, where it picks up, you know, its head and the sword that you just used to, to take <laughs> that head off and stands up, 
you know, the, the sheer simplicity of it, taking something that seems understandable and familiar and making it creepy and really horrible, I think it makes it so much more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's something that, you know, it, this is a good example of it, but something that FromSoft does all the time. They just, they have some of the best artists in the business. And even if, you know, their graph, you know, graphical fidelity isn't up to a lot of other AAA studios right now, the reason that these games are so iconic is because of that art style. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, because, I mean, even Sekiro, the way that, you know, the the fabric moves when you run and the way that, you know, the characters, the faces, the textures, mm-hmm. like I mentioned earlier, it's very, it's all very much the same. It's very, it's like a good blend between Dark Souls 3 and Elden Ring, how it, how it kind of looks. Except yeah. like you said, when you get into like the Fountainhead Palace later on, it's in the Divine Realm, it's, it's so colorful and it's, it's literally like nothing you've seen from, from software, which makes it stand out in a way because Dark Souls 1, 2, 3, Bloodborne and Elden Ring are very morose macabre mm-hmm. dead worlds yeah and this is something entirely different it's vibrant and alive with a, an emphasis on the life side of the life and death struggle that they like you said from software loves to toil with so mm-hmm. it's just it's so cool to to see how they handle the implementation of something just as simple as the color pink in a world that just it brings everything to life yeah uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's great. And it, just to like, you know, s- start to, to to wrap this up a little bit. One of the things that I love about um, this game is it shows that FromSoft can succeed in in genres other than Dark Souls games. Because you're right, I wouldn't call Sekiro a Souls game. There are absolutely influences, but it is altogether a different beast. So when I hear that there's a possibility of them, you know, resurrecting like the Armored Core series, I know that the work that they've done throughout all these games is going to influence, you know, a new genre for them. And I I am so excited for that to see what comes next. Yeah, I agree. I am. They have earned enough respect. I mean, even if you aren't a Souls player and you've only ever played Sekiro and you have no interest in the others, I mean, even the the success of Elden Ring has to be a testament to what that is. I mean, look at look at just the broad uh, reception to that. I mean, that enough has earned the respect of you know the gaming industry and has put souls on the map, even though it was already, you know, everyone said souls is a niche genre, but let's all, let's all be real. It's, (laughs) we are now the majority. (laughs) It is a mainstream success for sure. And even if you haven't played a souls game, you've played a game that's been influenced by souls. Oh, unfortunately we all have, even if you haven't, (laughs) the uh, gaming uh, journalism will tell you that you have. So yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's very true. But no, I'm um, just to just to round up my thoughts on this. I mean, I, I've said everything I I can say. The only thing I would say is what Max just said. Just this is coming. You know, you have Max's opinion on this, and this was his. This is his favorite from software game. He is a diehard. This, was this your favorite game? Would you say like out? Not like the nostalgic. My favorite game is Metal Gear, but like 
yeah, recent yeah. games that you could recommend if you were like, I, you should play this one game. Is this what yours would be? You know, I, it depends on, you know, what, what your criteria would be. If we're looking at, you know, what is the best game in terms of, you know, does a game set out and accomplish, or does a game accomplish what it set out to do? Absolutely, Sekiro is the best game that I've ever played. It is so purposeful, uh, and all of its systems are just, just you know, polished to a mere sheen. Um, it is one of the most consistent experiences, and it's worth playing just for that. For sure. And I, and the reason I ask that is because coming from someone that went from refusing to give this game the time of the day because literally I didn't have time to <laughs> being someone that swore he would never be able to finish this game, like I've said in previous episodes of this very show you're listening to, to finally having, I don't want to say mastered it, but seeing, like you said, seeing the credits roll in this game, finally, there's just such a sense of satisfaction. And it's, it literally is almost like I laid, like this is going to sound stupid, that I laid a past version of myself to rest and like <laughs> something I have been like dying, like in the Lord of the Rings, when they finally lay the, uh, in the return of the King, when they, they right. fulfill the oath and they just like fade away in the wind. And that's how I felt <laughs> when I finished this game. Like I was finally able to just let go of this version of me that could not finish Sekiro, but I did it. And it is by far, like I said, my greatest gaming achievement. And it's like, it's a badge that you can wear proudly to say that you've conquered this because this is in most most gaming journalism and even outside of that the most difficult game in video game history outside of like gimmicky shit like battle toads and stuff like that like of right. modern gaming this is the most difficult challenge you'll overcome and when you overcome it you will see that it's just because you were dedicated and you took that time and you will not find a more rewarding game to bring that sense of satisfaction to you so like Max said, just fucking play this game. Couldn't couldn't agree more. Um, and absolutely, you know, I'm I'm. This is one that I'm really looking forward to talking about. You know, in the Discord, or if you want to leave us a, a message and let us know, you know, we're stupid and this game is terrible and unbalanced and unfair. Happy to listen to that too. I'm gonna laugh when I read it, but I'm happy to listen to that. <laughs> oh, look, someone else that didn't finish the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, while we're talking about that, there was someone on my Facebook when I, I posted when I ever beat the game on Facebook mm -hmm. that I had finally checked it off, and there was someone that commented on it, and this was interesting that they had said that they found this game easier than Dark Souls. And I love that perspective because it's, it just goes to show that it was, they said they just had an easier time learning the parry mechanic and they just felt like it was more of an experience for them to be able to tackle the enemies because they got that one-on-one -on -one interaction. And sure. they're 100% right in that. Like, yeah. I think Dark Souls is easier than this game, 100%. But whenever it comes down to it, I 100% after having finished the game understand that viewpoint. Yeah. I I think that's definitely true. You could absolutely just have a natural like knack for this game, especially if you've come from playing, you know, more reflex based games in the past. If you, you know, love Bayonetta, if you love Devil May Cry, um 
those kind of games will help you out much more in Sekiro than any kind of Souls experience. Mm-hmm. I, I think absolutely. Um, and I'll say this. I would probably have a harder time at this point picking up a weapon that I've never used in a Dark Souls game than I would, you know, picking up Sekiro having not played it for months. Um, that kind of... The, the, the difficulty curve that you just climbed up to, to finally beat this game... That that skill set stays with you much longer than you think it would. Hmm. That's a good that's a good way to put it. I uh, I hadn't even considered that because I know like said Justin had said that he doesn't think he could get it, but I mean it might it probably would be very much like riding a bike because it, it is very rhythmic. Mm-hmm. Your brain hangs on to those types of connections, and that's exactly it. You pick you pick that up and you're gonna you hit that uh, that L one and you you hear that ting <laughs> and you're just like oh like and I'm back face. in it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Well, Michael, is there anything else that we got we got to hit on this one? <sighs> I don't know. I I feel like we've we've covered this top to bottom. Obviously, I I will say there's a lot of bosses in this game that we didn't like specifically touch on and I want to sure. like point you to the Discord because I would talk about all of them. I love there's we could probably talk for an hour about every boss. In this we game. went two hours on this episode and nobody brought up the words Demon of Hatred, which I'm amazed by <laughs> and would be very excited to talk about that boss because I have thoughts. <laughs> Fuck that guy. I, I, like I said, I didn't have as hard of a time with him as I did with Sword Saint, but bring it to the Discord. I, I want to hear what... Uh, I, I've, just to talk about that really quick, Justin, I said that I had beaten the Demon of Hatred and I was like mm-hmm. really pumped about it. He didn't even fight that boss. He was like, I didn't even yeah. know that was a thing. I don't know what that is. And it's because it's so fucking tucked away in some butthole of the world that you never go back to. Also, mm-hmm. it's impossible to get back to. So, um, but yeah. So let, bring it to the Discord. Let's talk about it. I'm excited to everyone to tell me that I suck. <laughs> As is tradition. And also is tradition, Michael, would you please please lead us in that iconic post-game content sign-off. I'm still still struggling with what that is, Max. (laughs) That's what it is. (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) 